This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. All right, this is Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thanks. So I've been here about two years and just became a member and no one ever made fun of me for making it take that long. Anyways, um, so I've been about here two years. I've been working with Adam and Jamie the whole time. And this summer, I learned something brand new that will change my life forever. Learned how to grill. Yep. We got a grill over at the offices and we use it every day to make lunch. And I'll tell you what, I was taught how to use it. Nothing short of life-changing. The point is, It's a lot harder than I originally thought it was gonna be. So when you grill, depending on the meat, you use a certain kind of seasoning. Depending on the meat, you use a different amount of seasoning. And then depending on what it is, you put it on the grill for a certain amount of time. Sometimes you take it off, wrap it up, put it back on, turn the grill up higher and then put it back on. There's just so many things that I had no idea went into grilling, but it's fun. It's good and it works every time and I've never ever failed grilling in my life ever. But there is a process, there is a plan that Adam and Jamie had to walk me through so that I could understand how to properly grill. And in that same way, God has given us a plan on how we should walk through making disciples. If you don't know, one of our distinctives here is intentional discipleship. We are all about making disciples. We want to grow into Christ and make disciples. And God has a plan for how we are supposed to do that. Which brings us to our big idea of today, I will follow God's discipleship plan. I will follow God's discipleship plan. There are two parts of God's plan that we need to understand. There's Jesus's part and there is our part. To start, we're gonna look at the Great Commission. That's where Jesus's part is talked about. The final command that Jesus gives in the book of Matthew. And if it's the last thing that Jesus is saying to the disciples who he spent three years with now, you would expect it to be one of the most important things if that's what he's gonna leave them with. So the thing that is so important is this Great Commission. Now let's look at it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is explaining to us what he has done. He's explaining to us what we are called now to do. 
and he breaks down his part in all of discipleship. And the first thing that he does is he establishes his authority. Jesus starts this final command, one of the most important things, the last thing he leaves his disciples with by establishing his authority, establishing that he has all authority over all of heaven and all of earth. Why start with that? Why begin your final command in that way? Well, one of the reasons that it was so important was to show that he has finally, officially defeated Satan. He is now more powerful than Satan. If you remember back when Jesus was being tempted in the desert, one of the things that Satan offered him was all the nations on the earth. Jesus could have authority over all the nations of the earth if Jesus would simply just bow down to Satan. And now... Jesus has gone through this process. He has died, he has rose again, and he now has all authority on the earth, but he also has all authority in heaven. He got more than what Satan could promise him. Jesus is showing that he is more powerful than what Satan could even imagine to promise to him. Jesus is not only showing that he is all powerful over Satan, but he is also showing that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy seen in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and earth. He has been given an everlasting dominion. And because of that, that is why he urges us to make disciples. Josh talked about it just last week, the imperative and the declarative. When there is an imperative in the Bible, it is almost always paired with a declarative, a reason why we are called to obey. The declarative here is God's authority. God's authority is the reason we are to make disciples. Jesus' power over Satan is the reason we are to go and make disciples. Jesus' everlasting dominion is the reason we are to go and make disciples. This is an example of a good indicative. It's a good declarative, a good reason. And we've seen plenty of bad reasons to do things in our life. We've probably told them to our children. Things like, because I said so, or I'll smack you if you don't. Those are bad declaratives. Those are bad reasons to do things. Well, they might be good, but they're not helpful. <laughs> Something that is a good declarative, a good reason to obey. It not only tells us why we should obey, but it should inspire us to obey. Things like, don't touch that, it's hot, it'll burn you, or don't drink that, it's poisonous. Those are good declaratives. They're good reasons to not do those things. I don't wanna touch that stove now because I don't wanna burn myself. I don't wanna drink this because I don't wanna be poisoned. A good declarative explains why we should be obeying and the importance of our obedience. 
Jesus's authority is a great declarative. It's a great reason for us to be making disciples. Jesus's authority over Satan, that's the only reason we need to go and make disciples. Jesus has all authority, so we have to go and make disciples, bring as many people into this dominion that is everlasting as we can. Jesus's authority is the reason that we obey his command so that we can bring people into his dominion that he has now established with his authority. And that brings us to the command that Jesus gives in the very next verse. In verse 19, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. That's the command. Now, if you've been around redemption for long enough, you know that that verb go is not the actual command. The actual command is make disciples. That verb go is a participle. And for those of you that don't know what a participle is, which was me like a week ago, a participle is a verb that is acting as like a noun or adverb or adjective. And yeah, participle is probably more than that. For those English teachers out there, it's fine, it works. So this word go, it's being used to describe the actual action of making disciples. A better translation that we talk about here is, as you are going, make disciples. As we go, we are commanded to make disciples. It's not something that we have to go out of our way to do. It's not something that's difficult to go and make ourselves do. It's just simply as we go, make disciples. As we go to work every day, make disciples. As we go to events, our kids' games, make disciples while you're there. It's much more likely that you can make disciples when you are intentional. But intentionality doesn't have to look like going and standing on the street corner and just finding people and say, hey, do you wanna be discipled today? That's not, that's not what as we go means. It takes that intentional step as we are going to actually look for people and disciple them. But the intentional step doesn't go any farther than, oh, you're already right here. I see you every day. I will intentionally go and make disciples. This phrase, as you are going, it indicates that you're already headed somewhere. You're already headed to work. You're already headed to the event. You're already headed to heaven. So as we are going to heaven, as we are going to this everlasting dominion, bring people with you. Make disciples so that they can come to this everlasting dominion with you. What prevents us from making disciples? I know for me, oftentimes, I'm afraid that they'll reject me. They won't wanna talk to me. It'll make for an uncomfortable work environment or an uncomfortable relationship. More than fear, it's my trust in God. In that moment when I choose not to obey and disciple, I'm not trusting in God to provide for me. My fear is just a lack of trust that God will provide. Because when I don't make that disciple, when I don't obey God's command, what I'm really saying is something is more important to me than obeying God or something I trust more 
than obeying God. Regardless of what that is, whether that something is people liking me, I value more than obeying God. Comfort, I value more than obeying God. Whatever it is, there's no reason that we should not be obeying God. So what is it that keeps you from making disciples? Fill in that blank. Blank is more valuable to me than obeying God. Because we have been commanded to make disciples. We have not been suggested to make disciples. This is a command to make disciples. And when we don't do it, we are disobeying that command. So how do we make disciples? What does that look like? Thankfully, Jesus gives us the design of what it should look like right in this very next verse. Jesus's design is that we baptize and teach. Not just that we teach, but that we teach others to observe what God has commanded. The way that we make disciples is by baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, by teaching to observe what Jesus has commanded. That's Jesus's design for how we are supposed to make disciples. And the order of these two things is very important. I'm not gonna ask someone that does not accept Christ, that has not been baptized to observe what God has commanded because why would they care? So this first thing, this baptize, it doesn't mean that, oh, my friend just accepted Christ. He's getting baptized in a month. I'll start teaching him in a month and a day once he's baptized. That's not what it means. What it means is the first thing that has to happen is accepting Christ. They have to have that relationship, that faith in Christ before we can teach them to observe what God has commanded of them. The first step in discipleship has to be Jesus. We have to lead them to Jesus before we can do anything else. It is the most important step in making disciples. That's why it's the first thing that Jesus talks about. We have to bring them to Christ before we can bring them to look like Christ. We have to follow the design if we are going to have any sort of success. And everything in life has a design. We were all in school at some point. We all took a math class. If we sat a third grader down in Calc 1, day one, they're starting from the beginning technically, but they're not gonna know what they're doing. They have to learn things like addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and a lot of other things that goes into calc, I don't know. But they have to learn those things. They have to follow that design for them to get there. We can't just throw them in in the middle and expect them to succeed. In the same way, we have to bring them to Christ first before we can teach them to observe what he has commanded of them. And Jesus gave us the design. He gave us the exact design. It's baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what I have commanded you. It's by that design that we become successful in making disciples. It's by that design that we obey God. And thankfully, it doesn't just end there. The last thing that Jesus says in all of Matthew, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This should bring so much comfort to your life 
Jesus is with us until the end of the age. Whenever we are making disciples, we're not doing it alone. We have Jesus with us. We get to rely on Jesus every single time. He will be with us until the end of the age. And you can't mess this up when Jesus is with you. Look at Moses in the Old Testament. He tried to make thousands of excuses, it seemed like, as to why he shouldn't be the one that God uses. And every time God came back and said, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do, I am choosing to work through you and there's basically nothing you can do about it. It's gonna happen. Now that doesn't mean we don't have to be intentional about making disciples. God can use us if we aren't intentional, but we get to be so much more effective for God when we are intentional about letting him work through us. Now that we've established Jesus is part of God's plan, his authority, his command, and his design. We now know Jesus' part, so now we need to know the next part, which is our part. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into ev in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul is explaining to us what discipleship practically looks like in our lives, how we are to go about making disciples, how we go about baptizing and teaching them to observe. The first thing that Paul establishes is he establishes our purpose. Our purpose here at the church, our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're here to equip you for the work of ministry. And what is the work of ministry? It's to baptize and teach people to observe. Your job is to make disciples. Our job is to make disciples. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. That's us here at the church. We are here to equip and build up the body of Christ. That's the purpose we have all been given, to build up the body of Christ, to attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. We baptize and we teach to observe. We up here teach so that you can teach others. We teach here, we shepherd here so that we can all go out and make disciples effectively. If we stand up here and we just give you the knowledge and nothing else, if we just are filling you with knowledge, puffing you up, 
We are failing. Our job, our duty is to provide you the opportunity and the chance to learn and grow so that you can go out and make disciples. There's a reason that we are called the body. There is a reason that we have to be unified. If you think about a body, if you think about, let's say my body, let's say my right calf, I wake up tomorrow and it is three times as big as my left calf. I can tell you right now that that, my body will no longer work well. I'll walk weird, it'll mess up my spine, my whole body will be messed up. I don't know the exact specifics of what would happen, but it wouldn't be good. We can all agree with that. In the same way, the church body has to grow together. We have to be unified in growth. That doesn't mean that we all have to have the same level of knowledge of the Bible. It doesn't mean that we all have to do the same things because we're called to do things differently. We're called to different things. What it does mean is that none of us go out on our own and say, good luck guys, I'm gonna go grow as fast as I can. Because one, you're not gonna grow. It's not gonna work. We're called to grow together. And it's more than just helping other people when they're struggling. It's more than just being there when they're struggling. Although it is those things, it's more than that. It's living life together. Every aspect of your life, we are living together. That's why we emphasize our small group ministry like we do. Our small group ministry is one of the best things that we have to make and grow as disciples into Christ. We get to live life together. We get to grow together. We get to build one another up into the body of Christ. That's why we have our counseling ministry to support our small group ministry. If you're struggling and you can't seem to figure out how to live life together with your small group, we provide you with this counseling opportunity to bring you back to the place where you can grow together. That's what we do here. We are all about making disciples, growing into Christ. And our small group ministry is one of the best ways that we can do that. If you're not in a small group already, please get in one. And if you are in one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're living life together. We're helping people move late on a Monday night. That was not a specific example or anything, but that's what we're doing. We're living life together. We go through life together. We build one another up as we are going. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown around here and there by every wind of doctrine, doctrine by the cunning of man and the deceitfulness of schemes. That's the purpose. We build one another up so that we can have a solid ground, that we aren't tossed to and fro by the winds of doctrine that we aren't deceived by schemes and the cunning of mankind. We build one another up. We rely on one another for growth. And we hold steady when we hear deceitful speech together. And thankfully, we don't have to guess as to how we do that. Paul explains in the very next six words 
how we disciple, the process by which we are going to disciple. Look at the beginning of verse 15. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, that's it. That's the entire process of making disciples, by speaking the truth in love, those five words. Speak the truth in love. The Bible is the truth. Jesus is the truth. The salvation that is granted to all of us is the truth. We are called to speak the truth in love. It's not a hard concept to understand, but it is so difficult to apply. Because I know plenty of Christians, I've seen plenty who love speaking the truth. They love speaking the truth. They speak the truth all the time, but there's no love. Look at these signs. These signs are truth. You have to repent of your wicked heart of unbelief. True. Ask me why you deserve hell. True, we deserve hell. But there's no love in these signs. We're just speaking the truth. And if these signs have ever worked, it's not because the signs are good. It is because the grace of God was working. These signs lack the necessary aspect of love. And we do it all the time. We just speak the truth, but we don't speak it in love. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 5 through 7. First Corinthians 13, sorry, four through seven, how about? So starting in verse four, it says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the criteria for us to speak love. We're called to speak love with patience, with kindness. We're not to be arrogant or rude. We aren't to insist on our own way. It's just love. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes and endures all things. That is to be the driving force when we are speaking the truth. And think about it, when we are given truth, aren't there certain things that we want first? For me, I know I want the person speaking the truth, that they know me, I know that they love me, and I know that they're speaking the truth to help me. Those are things that I look for when someone is speaking the truth. If someone randomly walked up to me and said, hey, you're doing this wrong, and I've never met you before, it's not that I don't care, it's just, don't wanna hear it from you. And let's think about it another way. Let's say one day I walk into the office and Adam and Jamie are just going at it, screaming, blood pressure's high, tempers are running. And I just walk in and I say, guys, 
You know what the Bible says about anger? <laughs> you gotta be slow to it. And let me tell you, this, there was nothing slow about this. That's other than a really good way to get me kicked out immediately. That's, it's true though, right? What I'm saying is true. The Bible does say we're called to be slow to anger. They don't wanna hear that at that time. There's no love in me telling them that truth. A loving way to speak that truth is maybe wait a little, at least five minutes when, when I see that they are maybe ready to receive it because love is patient. Love is kind, which is a hard balance because the truth oftentimes is not patient and the truth oftentimes is not kind. It's that balance we have to make between love and truth, between grace and truth. And we can't do that unless we are relying on God to speak the truth in love. So when you're discipling others, keep that in mind. Keep love at the forefront of your mind. Love should be the driving force of the truth that you are speaking. Love should be the driving force of making disciples. If we're speaking the truth and there's no love there, we're not gonna be effective. So what keeps us from speaking the truth in love? I know sometimes there's a specific sin that we just we really have a hard time with and we really don't wanna speak the truth in love, but we would love to just speak the truth and yell at them and say, that was terrible. But there's no love. There has to be love when we're speaking the truth. And sometimes we decide not to speak the truth and we think that that is love. Love is patient. Love doesn't ignore if you find yourself not speaking the truth ever because, oh, they don't wanna hear it right now, that's not love. Speaking the truth in love is the command. It's not staying silent in love. We are still called to speak the truth in love. We have to speak the truth. We have to tell them the truth. We have to teach them to observe what God has commanded. And it has to be with love. So now that we know what our part should look like, let's see why we do it. The prize waiting for us at the end of discipleship. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That is our prize. That is our reward. Growing the body into the head, which is Christ. Christ is the head. Christ is the prize. In every respect, we will grow into Christ who is the head. And it's important that this prize stays at the forefront of our mind as we make disciples. If Christ is not 
the prize, the discipleship will not work. Christ has to be the head of the body that we are growing and building. Whoever is standing behind this pulpit is not the head. Whoever invited you to church is not the head. Whoever brought you to Jesus for the first time is not the head. Christ is the head. And we have to remember that as we grow. John Calvin said this about the body of Christ. That man is mistaken who desires his own separate growth. For what would it profit a leg or an arm if it grew to an enormous size or for the mouth to be stretched wider? It would merely be afflicted with a harmful tumor. So if we wish to be considering in Christ, but no man be anything for himself, but let us all be whatever we are for others. This is accomplished by love. And when love does not reign, there is no edification of the church, but a mere scattering. When one of the parts of the body grows and tries to become the head, they will be afflicted with a tumor. But more than that, when one of the parts of the bodies grows and tries to become the head, the rest of the body, it is our job, it is our responsibility to keep that part in check. We grow together, we build one another into Christ. It's our job to help support and build one another. Everything we do here has to be together. If we want to grow into Christ, it has to be done together. Christ is the prize of discipleship. We get to grow into Christ together. That should excite us. Not only should that excite us, it should inspire us to go out and make disciples. Is Christ not the ultimate prize? Is that not the best thing that we could ever receive? And if we truly believe that Christ is the ultimate prize, that growing in Christ is the best reward, why aren't we bringing as many people into that reward as we possibly can? If we really believe that Christ is the end goal, is the best thing that we could ever have, getting to grow into Christ. Why aren't we making disciples? To end with all of this now in mind, Jesus' part and our part, our prize of Christ-likeness. What I want you to do is either in your notes, in your bulletin, or in your Bible, I don't care where, I want you to write down the names of people you are currently discipling. And next to that, I want you to write down the names of people that you could be discipling as you are going. And for the next two, three minutes maybe, I just want you to pray over those names. I want you to pray and ask God to help you disciple. Jesus says in John 15, five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Rely on God's power. Rely on Jesus to make disciples. We will bear much fruit when we are relying on God to make disciples. Take the next few minutes to pray about those names and I'll come up and I'll end us in a word of prayer after. Dear Lord, I pray that you help us to rely on you, to lean on you for strength, to abide in you. I pray that as we think about those names, as we pray about those names, we remember that we do it for you. We do it to grow into you, to give you the glory that you deserve. Lord, I pray that as this week goes and we are making disciples and we are just going as we are going, we rely on you. We rely on your strength and power to speak the truth in love, to make disciples to those of those around us. In your name I pray, amen. Redemption, you are loved.